everybody. Welcome to Geek Freaks. I am Frank, and I'm with Squeaks. Squeaks, how you doing? Squeaks. Good, good. How you doing? <laughs> good, good. Um, okay, so today we're going to be running down a couple pieces of news that are not really that big. We've been gone for a while, so no BlizzCon today, guys. We all BlizzCon down a little bit, so uh, unfortunately, <laughs> we got to take our breaks. Uh, yeah, so we're going to be going over a couple pieces of news. We're going to be talking about Call of Duty. It came out while we were busy with BlizzCon stuff. We'll be talking about that. Uh, we have an interview with Alex Schumacher about uh, his two comic book strips and future projects. And then we are going to wrap things up with my review of Outer Worlds, which I'm just going to give you a heads up right now. Bad ass. Uh, mm. Yeah, dude. I think you're going to want to play it. Have you ever played okay. any Fallout games? Yeah, I got. I get into Fallout. I skipped the Skyrims. What? But uh, I didn't know if I wanted to get into that type of game right now. Okay, yeah, if you don't want to get into that type, I understand that, but this is, I'm just going to say right now, it's a better Fallout, so it's, oh, yeah. Wow, Shots that's fired. something. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and get into some news. Uh, we're going to start off with everybody's favorite thing on this podcast. I don't know, you guys always like roll your eyes, but I think it's out of excitement. Green Arrow news. Uh, oh, I'm super excited with my eyes rolling. <laughs> Okay, so uh, uh, it's called Green Arrows and the Canaries. It's going to have a backdoor pilot in the second to the last episode of this this season of Arrow. So for everybody who doesn't know, this is the final season of Arrow. And what they do, they do these little backdoor pilots. They did it with Flash as well in the second season of Arrow to where they'll do an episode where just like, oh, Arrow comes on. and Or I'm sorry, where Flash comes onto the show and it's like, oh, look, Flash is like a guest star in this thing. They actually cast a Flash they really like. And then possibly the next season, we see an entire series about that character. Well, the second to the last episode of this season will be Green Arrow, called Green Arrow on the Flash, or I'm sorry, in the Canaries, and it's going to be the future Green Arrow and uh, the uh, Canaries that we actually have the Canaries already. So we're a bit, we're essentially getting another spinoff, and this one will be more Green Arrow. <laughs> so while one's ending, the other one's going to be here, which means that you know the same actors, uh, Stephen Amell, that plays Arrow right now, he'll be guest starring. You know, it's not like we're losing anybody. Uh, it's going to be after, so we're going to be introduced to this on Crisis of Infinite Earths, which is the mid-season, uh, big event they have this time. The team will include Laurel Lance, played by Katie Cassidy. She's the Laurel Lance that we know now. Dinah Drake, played by, uh, Julie, uh, Juliana Hakavi. She is the Dinah Drake that we use right now as well. Mia Smoke, which is by Catherine. And then, uh, it's a long last name. And then, uh, so, so this is all the crew that we already know. We already know all these characters, uh, Mia was introduced last season, and then we already have Laurel and Dinah now. And uh, and anyway, so it, it remains unclear if this is 100% getting a spinoff, but it is, like, in the air. And when they do these little backdoor, like, little backdoor pilots, it's, like, almost guaranteed. Would you be interested in anything like this, or does this kind of sound like, meh, I don't care at all? Um, I am totally not interested in any of this. <laughs> I, I gotta... I think That's just... I, I tried though. I tried to get into these CW ones and I just it can't it just has not pulled me yet with any of these series. So this one that has a it's like set in the future, even that doesn't sound interesting to you? Yeah, um I mean so is every other cyberpunk thing that's on Netflix or Hulu. Yeah, but think of this though. This is a good way to introduce <laughs> Batman Beyond would be in this one. I mean not in this one, but it's a good way to bring in Batman Beyond. So you're saying CW will mess up Batman Beyond? No. <laughs> I'm saying CW is your best <laughs> chance of finding him. <laughs> they have, yeah, they've already set up a lot of, so now that we're able to use Gotham, you're able to use Superman. I mean, they set up everything. So Arrowverse really could use essentially anything you want. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, all that information comes from Aaron. Well, that, is, that is neat that they're going to keep expanding though, if they do the Batman Beyond and 
any other villains from that. They and one thing I really like that they're doing right now is essentially anything any Superman has been on TV or movies, they're making the multiverse so that all of them can visit the Arrowverse. So your Smallville Superman is going to be on Arrow. Oh, who's the other ones? Uh, the one from Batman uh, Returns. The, aren't they doing a Krypton one? They probably uh, series. Actually, I think they are running it. I don't know. I'm not too sure on that. They might be running it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I heard something about that. Yeah. Um, no, but that's neat though that they're expanding. It's kind of because uh, we don't see it as much with their big time movies that hit the theater. Yeah. So they're pretty much doing what Marvel's doing, but on television instead. They're clearly making enough money too to keep making these spinoffs. So there's there's got to yeah. be enough fans out there. Got to be enough money coming in. And I know they make the bulk of their money from selling the shows to Netflix, which yeah. I'm down for. That is fine by me. That's usually where I end up watching them anyways. Because I I tried watching them live, and it gets to the point where you're just like, I have to keep binging them, and it's really hard to watch week by week on these. Yeah, like 22, sure. 22 episodes long seasons, and they're hour long, and there's five different shows going on. Holy crap. Yeah, so it's a lot to keep up on. Three of them are the 22 seasons, or 22 episodes, and then the other ones are like wow. 10 or 13. All right, yeah, so more information on that, you guys, go to comicbook.com. Aaron uh, Pernin wrote the article for that. Next up, I actually linked some stuff in the Discord so you can take a look at these. Sonic the Hedgehog movie, the new design for Sonic, it got leaked twice now. Yep. Okay. Now, have you seen these? They're they're like these standees that are going to be inside the promotional standees that are inside theaters, and uh, people taking photos, man. Yeah, I mean it looks a lot better. It's the Sonic that we wanted, um, in a way, to the comparison to the video game, with a little bit of that new of what they had before with the fur and whatnot, which was expected. Um, it's a lot better. I don't I don't know who designed the first one. It just didn't make sense to me. But this one, yeah, exactly like video game. That dude's straight up unemployed. There's like no. I just way. yeah. I don't know why. I mean, whoever did this was perfect. This is this this looks like Sonic with a little realistic life to it. He has kind know, of like a why. like almost like a chunkiness. Not necessarily like he's fat, but like his legs are shorter. He has the bigger head. It's exactly what we always yeah. wanted. Yeah, I really like it. And now we get the you know the fur and whatnot to kind of make it look like an actual animal instead of just some shapes from the video game. Yeah, uh, it's. So the first one that was that was released in November was really far away, so it was kind of hard. Or uh, I'm sorry, October. But the one released here, uh, just on the sixth, that was released. You get really up close. You can see like the Doctor Robotnik, the sticking over the side. Uh, they're not changing anything about Robotnik. That's still just Jim Carrey looking weird. But okay. I'm happy with Sonic. <laughs> okay. I think I think he looks really good. So there's some nice yeah. looking shoes no. too. I bet they sell those shoes after this movie. Oh man, they kind of look like Pumas in a way. So I bet you Puma would be the one to do that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I can see I can see buying this. So yeah, this week was actually the week the Sonic was supposed to come out. And then they ended up pushing it back and everything like that. Pretty crazy. Oh I I don't know what how much work goes into doing a CGI over um the original version, but how long are they pushing this back? Because it kind of seems ridiculous just for this one issue. This got pushed back till February 14th. So this is the week it was supposed to come out. They pushed it back three, four months. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Pretty crazy. But, I mean, they have yeah, to we yeah, work every shot that had a Sonic in a Sonic movie. Yeah. So, pretty nuts. All right, next up, you're the Smash Brothers expert around here. Terry is now in Smash Brothers. Uh, he was added in patch 6.0 on November 6th. Have you played much Smash Brothers lately? Uh, Not lately, no. I've been busy with other things. But I did see the Terry news. And I did see 
Kirby dressed up as Terry when he gets uh, sucked in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was kind of neat, but anyway. But no, that's cool. That uh, I like how they keep expanding this roster, even though this game's been out for a little while now. Yeah. So I, th- I think that's really neat. I like how he, after he gets hits 100%, he becomes stronger, and his, like, abilities can, like, save his life and stuff like that. Like, he just, like, mm-hmm. super saiyans after he hits 100%, which is really cool. So you actually want to, like, continue to fight, take a couple hits in, and then all of a sudden you're like, I'm not going down, and then you go crazy on people. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's uh, reward. Yeah, I mean, I do like how they're pulling from random, um, not random IPs, but different different companies. So this one's from SNK. So that's the one you don't really hear too much when these SNK fighting games. At least I haven't lately. Right. Yeah. Um, except for those Capcom versus SNKs, but those are old. They're great. Um, <laughs> so it's neat how they're. I don't know. I guess digging through the drawers to figure out who else can we bring into those roster. And for like for me, it's that's neat. But for some players, like Terry's, like, oh man, I remember going to the arcade, or maybe the Neo Geo, or something. Like, like there's there's all kinds of memories back back in the day. Uh, like for me, we've talked about. I would love to see the old arcade version of the Ninja Turtles, and this would be fantastic. Ooh man, but yeah, they did have Ninja Turtles in uh in Justice Two, so I wonder if that's a that's a you know. What do you call those? Like WB owns Ninja Turtles for their games yeah, or whatnot. Yeah, but I mean, Nintendo will pay you. And why not? And Yeah, yeah. Blizzard's already said that they could use any Overwatch character they want. That would be, oh, God. Oh, man. Yeah, I want to see Doomfist. Doomfist, Doomfist has to be in it. is tailor-made for this. That'd be perfect. I would love to see Doomfist <laughs> for this. Tracer, I think, would be great, too. You're, like, bouncing around all over the stage. Like, you fall off and you, like, rewind time and get back yeah. up. Be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. I can see Tracer. Uh, other things that came out in 6.0 is King of the Fighters stage, and we're getting some new me costumes. I never play as the Mies. Uh, so I really... No, I just there's no desire to play as a me when I have all these other characters on the roster that I'd rather be. Yeah. And then we have some extra abilities for the host when you guys are playing like custom games. He's able to like change the rules without having to totally reset the entire match. And there's also some options for like random battlegrounds and Omega form uh, maps, stuff like that. So they're basically making it to where Couch co-op's a little bit friendlier. You guys can make some wild and crazy games, uh, which is cool. I like that their couch co-op has always been a focus of Smash Brothers, and it continues to do so. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You guys. I mean, it's kind of. I would say they're uh, focused for Nintendo period, really. Yeah. Yeah. Are you guys especially able to... now that we're moving on to online games, uh, that you're kind of behind on that, but. Well, I, I, their fans are are happy that they're doing that, though. It's not like they're necessarily yeah. like missing out because the fans are like, "Oh, I want to get a Switch for when my friends come over," and then I got like an Xbox yeah. for when I want to just like, you know, play Red Dead forever, everything like that. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, you could purchase just this Terry and the uh, King of Fighters stage for five bucks, or you can get the uh, Fighter Pass for twenty five dollars, and then you get like everything. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, let's go to next up. We have the Pokemon anime is getting a reboot. Now, oh, okay. Did you hear about that? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you heard that. No, uh, no. News to me. You hear the big news about Ash. He actually won the Pokemon League championship. Yeah. When he's a freaking 11 years old. Come on now. Uh, no. I mean, he's, he's aged a lot in the show. He's not 11. <sighs> That's anymore. what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. They announced like, at 11 years old, Ash won it all. I'm like, hold on. Wait, they called him 11 years old? I didn't, I didn't see that during yeah. the announcement. Yeah. Oh, ESPN called it. <laughs> ESPN. <laughs> ESPN posted on this day, 11-year-old Ash Ketchum won the Pokemon 
you know, tournament. I would love, whatever. I would love to sit in on the ESPN boardrooms because there's got to be so many conversations lately. They're like, "Look, guys, we could cover baseball, but it's not going to be as big as League of Legends." Ugh, I don't know what to yeah. do. <laughs> like, like we normally talk about football, baseball, but this fucking Pokemon thing's a thing now, so we have to discuss yeah. this. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> What's the biggest thing in the world? Well, I mean, there's a Pokemon tournament going on right next week. <laughs> Well, but yeah, so yeah. What's this? Did they release uh, anything? What's this one about? Well, we have a Japanese uh, trailer for the new season, which I posted in here, but it's all in Japanese. It's in the Discord there. Okay. Uh, okay. And what's happening is Ash is no longer like the main protagonist. There's actually going to be two protagonists. The new protagonist, his name is Go, which, I mean, that's just so dumb. What? That's, oh, come on now. He's a ten years old. He's ten years old. Who starts alongside Ash? He starts with Score Bunny, which is a cool Pokemon. I like that one. And he's dead set on catching Mew. That's like his whole goal in the entire show, uh, according to TV Tokyo. Uh, Go had encountered Mew when he was a young boy, and that has been his uh, passion to capture the legendary Pokemon. Uh, and that's supposed to like counter. So he's like very methodical and like okay, when you got to do this, he's like focused. While Ash is supposed to be like that, like. Let's just try and like he's like off off the hinges, you know. He's devil may care, and uh, so they're supposed to balance each other out pretty well. Um, yeah, I don't know. Oh, we need some new writers already. Well, I mean, I'm not feeling it. The way they're changing the animation on Ash and everything like that, the animation for the entire show's much more of that lighthearted anime style. Okay, maybe like okay. Um, oh god, I'm trying to think of something like One Piece, maybe that's that can be really lighthearted. Okay, okay. It's hard. I haven't watched a lot of One Piece, but what I've seen of it, it seems like it's kind of leaning that way. Yeah, okay, okay. And then, uh, yeah, so we're getting the new professor. We're getting new Is this something that's going to be on uh, like a a streaming service? I'm sure. I'm sure Crunchyroll or something like that will have it, yeah. Uh, Okay, yeah, I have animation, so it should be good. Yeah, so so far all we have is the actual Japanese little trailer there. And we have Team Rocket and everything like that back. Everything's coming back. It's just that it's it's essentially a reboot. And instead of focusing on one character, it'll be focusing on two. And Ash does have Pikachu, so the world's okay. At least we have that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Okay, last... Pikachu getting old? Uh, He looks like he's he's still pretty good. He's probably like really like a Pikachu year is like 140, but in human years, (laughs) he's... I mean, if Ash is only 11, so Pikachu's got to be two. I was going to say, well, in uh, Ash years, I mean, fucking, you can live for 100 and be only 14. Apparently. (laughs) All right, last bit of little news we want to get into. The free Xbox games this month. Is Sherlock Holmes, The Devil's Daughter, which I hear really good things about that. Okay. Uh, the Final Station, Star Wars Jedi Starfighter, that's a classic. And Joyride Turbo. Then for split uh, for uh, PlayStation, we have Neo, which everybody should own Neo. And then Outlast 2. And uh, Outlast 2 is a good horror game. We are Actually, our friends, Grief Burrito, they're doing uh, videos on Outlast 2. So if you guys want to see some gameplay of that, check them out. But uh, any okay. of those sound, f- sound familiar to you? Neo's like a classic. Uh, Outlast 2, for sure. Yeah. Um, I didn't play very much of it, but I played the first one. Uh, Neo, I'm not familiar. You said I should get that, but uh, yeah. or everyone should have that. But what is that? It's uh, Feudal Japan, like kind of like a horror. It's like a kind of horror aspects. I think you'd like it. I think, if I remember correctly, it's kind of like the For Honor gameplay. So I'm trying to remember the games you play and how it could relate to that. But I think oh. that might be your best For bet. Honor? Okay. Yeah, where you're hmm. like... It's all about the sword fighting. If I remember, or it's a hack and slash. I don't remember exactly which one, but it's been a while since I played. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to check it out. I'll yeah. check it out. This is on, uh, which one is that one on? Play- PlayStation. PlayStation. Yeah, PlayStation. Completely okay. free. Might as well take advantage of it, man. 
Yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and get into your Call of Duty review, bro. Yes. Yes. How 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 you want me to start off? How you want me to start off? Why don't you go ahead and break down <laughs> just a short, like one minute version of what the plot is, and then go over like your favorite parts, and then go over your least favorite parts. Okay. So uh, you're playing with three different. Uh, is it three? Oh my goodness! Well, that was Two very fast. Jordy got sidetracked. I know, very <laughs> fast. Already forgetting this campaign. <laughs> uh, so anyway, you're playing as uh, multiple characters, and one of them uh, is kind of like, "Hey, I'm gonna fight." You meet up with the resistance in the Middle Eastern uh, area, okay. and you're playing as an American that's really helping them out because they're for uh, trying to for freedom for their for the people. So uh, in the beginning, it feels like. You think Russia's stealing uh, nuclear weapons or nuclear gases and whatnot. It turns out Flip-Flop not going to spoil everything, but it's not them. Okay. So, uh, one character, you're fighting with the Resistance. Uh, but then Pierce is back from modern, all the other Modern Warfare's 1 and 2. Um, so, you're playing as one of his, I guess, under took him under his wing kind of kind of character. Okay. Uh, so, you're playing along with Pierce in certain missions as well. So... That's the plot. Uh, without kind of stealing it, everyone thinks it's just Russia inter- interfering with the uh, trying to take control of the Middle East. But it twist won't ruin it. Uh, what I like about this game on the campaign side is, of course, like any other Call of Duty, it's action packed. So it's very neat to have every mission to be unique in certain ways. Right. Uh, some of my favorite missions were in the dark. So I'm playing on PC, and when you're in the dark, the graphics and Oh my god, just look amazing uh, when you have those night vision goggles on. And what I really like about some of those levels are you're clearing buildings, but you're clearing it very slow. And it's kind of almost scary. Like I jumped at certain times because uh, you're going up these stairs as a team and then you open up certain doors and then it's either like civilians uh, don't shoot them or they're hiding in a closet or under a bed or some of my favorite is a woman with a child but then she like turns around and grabs a gun Whoa. and then, bam you have to kill that mother in front of that child oh, so, for life <laughs> did i get i know right? future villain actually in modern warfare now that we're thinking about it future villain that kid will be Ooh. <laughs> Nah, nobody gives a fuck about that character. (laughs) (laughs) I think I shot the kids. No, I'm just kidding. That's bad. That's bad. (laughs) That's bad. Extra points. (laughs) Uh, uh, Gosh. Uh, So that's uh, it's really neat because it's different. You can shoot out of. There's not a lot of missions where you shoot out of a plane. I recall one. I mean, I could forget. Mm -hmm. um, But then that's pretty bad because then it's pretty pretty forgivable. Forgettable. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of them you do. Uh, One of the missions you do, and it's, it's. it's a lot of every uh, how do I say it? it's it's just action packed each level it, and and I love how Call of Duty does a campaign yeah um for uh multiplayer I'm I'm dabbling in that a little bit even though I'm horrible so maybe that's why I hate it fucking multiplayer because I suck at it <laughs> but uh what I do like is they're adding more uh. uh what I've learned, because I didn't know all these, maybe I'm just horrible, is more uh, game mode. So you got your normal team deathmatch. There's a cyber attack. So it's like retrieve an EMP device and plant it near an enemy 
uh, enemy center. So I haven't That's really cool. done too much of that. But I really like is domination, basically just king of the hill for the three different points. Uh, I, I find that to be pretty fun. Uh, search and destroy headquarters, hard point, things like that. And what I like about these are normal um, versus matches, but the maps feel big already on some of these team deathmatch ones. So it, it almost feels like you're playing like a ground, not a ground war. I wouldn't go that that big, but um, it's pretty decent size. Uh, what something I don't like though, what I've noticed is that my teams are never filled unless they're showing extra rows on each team for no reason. Um, I've never gotten to a match where every name is filled up in the row on both, both sides. When you, so I'm not, when you sure go in, about, does it show it's going to be like eight on eight or six on six or something like that? Or is it just kind of, yeah, like, it'll show six on six, but it shows more lines like it needs to be filled still. So I didn't know if, if that's it and they're just doing that or there's more people, which doesn't make sense because there's millions, millions of people playing this game right, right now. Right, right, right. So I'm not sure the logic behind that one. So so you think it might just be like a UI? Like the visuals look bad because it's misleading. It looks like it should be a 20 on 20 when... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it does for sure. Like a 10 on 10. Uh, Grand War probably, yeah, 20, 20, 20. Um, uh, what I do like looking through, say, multiplayer though, is something so basic as the menus. Menus look so good in this game. Yeah. Some of my favorites are when you're picking a kill streak. Every time you hover over like a, uh, an individual... like. Uh, a jet that you want or uav it shows kind of like that equipment in the background before you pick it and i know it's something stupid and small but i think it's just really neat that they added it to the visually to the yeah. menus yeah, um cool. but of course you get your st- kill streak still three four five all the way up to 15 kill streak which i will never in my life get that so <laughs> and it would be a waste for me to pick one of the anything above a five kill streak it would be a waste so just gotta get good man just or, gotta get good yeah, what I do like is they kind of feel like they added something from uh, Battle Battlefield. Yeah, Battlefield. Yeah, is uh, what they call field upgrades, and field upgrades are a certain something you could bring into a match. So, for say for mine right now, I have uh, an ammunition box. So basically, if anybody's out of ammo, I just throw this box down. Anybody could pick up from it. Okay. Um, they got a recon drone where you could remotely. Uh, have a drone hover and mark enemies uh, yourself instead of like a UAV. Mm-hmm. Um, just little things like that. Um, also, what I think was kind of neat, I haven't really done any of this myself because I kind of feel like I, I'm not grasping on all the multiplayer stuff yet. I haven't really taken the time to uh, check it all out. But there's something called a uh, armory. And what this is, is you get some blueprints from my understanding. So I apologize if I screw this up. But you basically, you put your own gun together. Wow, that's, so is so, it a gun that you yeah. get to carry into other games, or is it just for... Yeah, yeah. So, like, right now I got this, like, M4, XRK, M4, I don't know what all that is, oh whatever. Oh, my God, that's cool. And then you get you find these blueprints for it, and then you put it together yourself. That's so awesome. I think that's really neat. Can you name yeah. the gun? Oh. That would be amazing. You know what? I don't know. Put it together, put your own paints on that it, and then name neat. it, like, you know, Squeak's Revenge or something like that? Yeah. No, I would call it Arthas' sword. What is that called? Frostmourne. Oh, yeah. You can't name it that if you can't name it. You know what I'm saying? Hey, hey. That's why I have you, okay? Okay. Oh, goodness. You're making me think a lot right now, We said no Blizzard. (laughs) No BlizzCon. Oh, shit. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm still... It's so hard. I'm still... I can't talk about it. It's like talking about gargoyles. I would... Oh, God. (laughs) I'm not going to bring it up. (laughs) Um... (laughs) <laughs> operators are alright. Uh, you don't really too much customize your character itself. You kind of just select from uh, nine different 
uh, operatives from certain uh, groups right. uh, on each side. So you kind of have like the coalition team and you have the allegiance team. And there's a default character, which doesn't really look like it looks like, a you know, if you were a stormtrooper in Star Wars, that's it. But then they just have some special other looking characters. So does it feel like uh, a? Because what you're explaining kind of sounds bigger than a normal Call of Duty. So uh, it feels closer sure. to a battlefield yeah. in, in multiplayer than it does Call of Duty personally. They added things like I told you the armory, where you not the armory. I'm sorry, the uh, uh, field upgrades where you kind of throw your stuff down to help others. So it's like they took it without all the. Without fully taking it, if that makes sense. They stole some things for sure. Mm-hmm. I'll say that. Uh, but yeah, online is way bigger. That's why I'm kind of going into this besides more of the, the campaign. Right, right. Um, uh, so yeah, you pick your operative. Uh, barracks, basically, um, same thing like any other Call of Duty. There's a barracks to tell you how bad you. Sh- I'm sucking at my record. And then uh, any achievements or missions you're doing to unlock calling cards and whatnot. Um. But yeah, another thing that they added into uh, Call of Duty, what I kind of like, is the co-op. So basically, you get a group of uh, friends together and just do missions uh, against a computer, if I'm correct. Oh, I like that. Yeah, you can kind of just... Yeah, it's really neat. I like it. But it's kind of... It ends off, like, without spoiling, not really a spoiler. Um, Call of Duty ends when you beat the campaign uh, after the credits to be like, hey... You think it's another Call of Duty, but really, if you go to co-op, then it kind of starts it starts off what uh, co-op missions are. So the okay, I think that's pretty neat. Can can you do the regular campaign with co-op, or is it only the co-op missions? Uh, uh, good question. You know, I don't. Uh, let me. S- I don't think you can. I think it's by yourself, but I could be wrong. I don't have a lot of friends that play with me, so I can't tell you that. I need to get you some sad. friends. Okay, we'll work on that. Yeah. Hey guys, go, go by the fucking friends. game, Frank. <laughs> well, I, the reason I haven't been able to play Call of Duty is because of Outer Worlds. So we'll do my review here in a sec. But mm, okay. uh, yeah, Outer Worlds is like one of those games. It's just like let me pour all my time in this thing, and then it gets better and better. Oh than God, I don't need one of those. I will play right Call now. of Duty though because I've been itching for this Call of Duty, and then. When they said, like, oh, yeah, it's coming around the same time as Outer Worlds, I'm just, I need an assistant that just yeah. plays games next to me while I'm playing games so I can see how it's going. Yeah, for sure. All right, so. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much it after the co-op, you know. Um, this Overall, this Call of Duty is what we've all been waiting for a long time because screw the Black Ops. And, oh, I mean, yeah. yeah, we got World War Two, and that was fine. Uh, Black but we Ops got an awesome such a waste campaign. of my freaking money, dude. I'm so It was. I I I gave in to the Black Ops four, right? Yeah, that was the one that's all online. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I yeah, totally wasted my money. Oh man. But we got an awesome campaign, we got awesome multiplayer, and then I did like the fact that they added in the co op. Uh multiplayer is bigger, so overall this is um one to redeem the Call of Duty franchise for sure. Okay, so what are we gonna use this use grade this with? Like dog tags oh, or shit. Out of a hundred no. what? Um, grenades. Okay. <laughs> Out of a hundred grenades, how many grenades? Out of a hundred grenades, I will give this a solid, oh God, maybe like an eight grenade explosions out of a hundred eight out of a hundred or do you mean 80 out of a hundred oh wow i was trying to do 10 okay, okay. i want to i want to have like i want to have like 70 belts on me with a bunch of seven belt with seven grenades on them i'm talking like i'm way oh, down God. by grenades yes oh god this is gonna be 80 airstrikes 80 airstrikes <laughs> <laughs> big crater where it's like 
you know, five killer, her five player kill streak because of eighty. You know. <laughs> oh, God. Now, if I had to rate the game uh, differently um, for skill level, I would hate this fucking game because I suck. But you know, oh, I'm yeah. playing as on a mouse and keyboard, so I'm getting used to it. And so, yeah, that's another thing too. Is is you're kind of a console gamer that's trying out some PC stuff, or as Daniel will call you, you're just a console gamer. <laughs> so. Yeah. As I'm talking to you on my PC, bot. <laughs> While you're playing Sea of Thieves on PC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so next up we have our interview with Alex Schumacher as we go over a couple of his comic book strips and what it's like to look for a literary agent. And now I'm with Alex Schumacher, a comic book creator. Now, Alex, you are a writer and artist. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Excellent. Two of your, your comic book strips that I've been reading is Decades of Inexperience and Mr. Butter Chips. And uh, I just got to say, man, those are excellent pieces of work. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, those are those are my two main uh, ongoing works right now. So any kind feedback like that is appreciated. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, can you do us a favor and kind of break down a little bit of what each of these projects are about? Yeah, absolutely. So Decades of Inexperience uh, sort of started out as illustrated flash fiction. It was in a period where I had these delusions of grandeur where I was going to be a prose author. And so I was just kind of getting back into illustrating <laughs> as well. And the first couple of years because of that are more like illustrated flash fiction. But then I, I gravitated more and more back towards comics, as I always have. And so starting with the third year, it was just an outright comic strip or a week, weekly web comic. And the right. basis behind it is just, it, it's semi-autobiographical. It's sort of catharsis for me to write about things that have happened to me. But as I've gone along, we're now in the fourth year. And I've realized it's also kind of a way to hold myself accountable because it talks about some kind of unsavory things, untowards things that that I've done and people have done and things like addiction and uh, misogyny and, you know, even if it's casual and you don't realize you're doing it, things like that. So I've, I've realized that it's a way to hold myself accountable, which has been really interesting to sort of analyze it in that way. And I meant for it from the beginning, I wanted it to be a character growth piece. So he starts out as sort of this people said a lot of in, in the beginning, people uh, compared it to like Charles Bukowski. And I suppose in a way mm -hmm. it was very much like that character, but unlike Charles Bukowski, I knew Luke was going to grow and learn and hopefully progress towards a better version of himself, which I think he has. And yeah. so it's just, it's sort of that idea of a long-term growth of a character. And then, so Mr. Butterchips started out as an homage to underground comics. And that was essentially the only idea I had for it. Something along the lines of Fritz the Cat or, you know, one of those 60s or 70s underground strips. And then the election of 2016 happened and I took a hard left into sort of political and social commentary. It just ended up being the perfect sort of vessel for that. So the majority of the last three years have been either you know editorial or commentary with with the monkey yeah it, both of them are feeding into our social narrative that we have going on right now which has been pretty complex and sometimes frustrating for all of us and the way that decades of inexperience plays out you're almost you're rooting for this character 
And he's got, you know, of course he has his falls and stuff like that. I was just reading the current ones where, you know, he's having to move back in with the folks and stuff like that. And we've all experienced those moments where we're like, will I succeed past this? We don't know. So we're kind of, we're, we're living life with him. And then with Mr. Butterchips, the way you, you talk about it, it used to be in underground comics. It's totally that. And it, now when you're, it's almost like your raunchy older cousin kind of telling you, like yelling at you, like, this is how the world works. And you're like, yeah, no, duh, it does. Well, I'm not thinking this way. Right. So it's it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> it's uh, just a joy. Get off these. your lawn and at the same time, giving them some life advice, hopefully, as well. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, it's pretty great. I like those moments where uh, with Mr. Butterchips, like, he, yeah, he's yelling the truth at you. And then at the end, he's like, keep it up, kid. <laughs> it's like, okay, sure. <laughs> it's, it's great. It's the sort of angry lecture with the big hug at the end. <laughs> yeah. A little bit more, you know, of a comfort at the end. But, yeah, you know, it's been a great vessel for me, like I said, because if I was just, if I was trying to do that with decades of an experience or something else that had a human character, I always feel like that may not be received as well because mm-hmm. nobody really wants to hear about those things especially when they're trying to be entertained and i completely understand that but when you're doing it through the guise of a crotchety old monkey i think it's still entertaining and you know enjoyable enough that the message can still be received without it being too invasive yeah and i think it's funny because i'm thinking also back to the paneling and how both of them interact with their paneling and the the page layouts and stuff like that which we'll get into later on but even the human aspect versus how uh, Mr. Butterchips works within the comic book page is quite a bit different and only Mr. Butterchips could do what he does. So it really works out pretty great. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, you know, I was in the beginning when I was getting back into illustrating sort of in the early aughts, as they say, uh, 2005 to about 2012, 2013, I imagined myself to be the next great comic book illustrator, which was <laughs> absolutely uh, a weird aspiration. But what I was doing was being very, quote unquote, creative um, and and fancy. The problem with that is it ends up muddling the storytelling and, and, you know, can convolute things that you're trying to tell with the picture. So with Decades and Mr. Butterchips, it's a little bit more of straightforward paneling, but the angles are switched up and, you know, things are... um, different enough, varied enough that I think it's still, you know, decent to look at. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's talk a little bit about yourself and then we'll go ahead and follow up with your comic books. What kind of inspirations or ideas inspired your current projects? Where did you come up with the idea for, for decades or for Mr. Butterchips? Uh, Decades of experience again was just, I was reading a lot of either thinly veiled memoir or autobio stuff. And there was a lot of comics that were coming out at the time that were exploring those specific categories and genres. And Mm -hmm. I had for a long time tried to insert myself into more of a fantasy or supernatural realm because I love things like Mike Mignola's Hellboy and fancied myself like a dime store Mike Mignola. Uh, (laughs) But the truth was the stories that I wanted to tell were more based in humanity and just the the human condition and things that we all go through. And I know that sounds very, you know, vague or, or maybe pretentious in a way, but those were the things that interested me were, were more about people right. and, and what we all go through. So decades was certainly a way for me to express that. And not even with the intention of necessarily relating to people, but I think 
things that we all experience are relatable regardless, you know, whether it's to five people or five million people. So again, it was a way for me to sort of exercise some demons and hold myself accountable in ways that I didn't otherwise. And again, that sort of morphed into that from the initial idea, but it's been a really rewarding thing for me to do. And Mr. Butterships was just something fun to do where I could talk about drugs and sex and things like that indiscriminately. But again, that took a hard left as well, which has been a good stress relief to to some degree. And, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's good for my anger management to have an outlet like that (laughs) where you can sort of scream at the audience. And if people want to join in, that's great. And so that, that was more of where Mr. Butterships came from. It wasn't even necessarily that prefabricated, it, you know, aside from the whole underground comics thing, it, it just really organically morphed into the um, social and political commentary zone that it inhabits now. Yeah. And, and even when you're reading these two decades kind of reminds you of like journal entries. So yeah. you're almost or almost like a very soft version of maybe or not even soft, you know what I mean? But a sitcom, you know, if you're thinking of the old Jerry Seinfeld's where he opens up with him on the on the stage and then you kind of see that play out, you know. Right. So you're getting a, a, almost a day in the life and the struggles of an average 34 year old, which is me right now. So it's kind of yeah. like, OK, that makes sense. And then those parts that get pent up in you where you just want to yell in the world and just make things right. Or, you know, just the, the extremes of your personality, there's your Mr. Buttership. So it really works out well. It's kind of like, you know, the ego, the it, all that all wrapped up into these two comics is pretty great. Yeah. It's pretty good balance between the two. <laughs> it's yes, know, yes. the one I can just kind of focus on my experiences. And of course, you know, a lot of it is played up for effect. But then to go with Mr. Butterchips and just be able to sort of shout my opinions from the rooftops and run it up the flagpole and see who salutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Now you had these ideas and you decided you want to make them. Where did you start off? Like, what was your process into like, okay, I need to make these a reality for my ideas. Did you go right into web comics? Did you want to try to do print? What was your, what was your options? Initially I was trying to get into the, the print game. So I was working with other writers and we were pitching to places like image and dark horse and places of that nature and never really got anywhere. And so when I sort of came back to comics the web comics thing was beginning to to get a little bit bigger. There was a, a small phase, sort of in the early two thousands and late nineties, I think, where web comics were a big thing, and that sort of fizzled out. But then, like you said, the sort of diary or journal comics uh, idea came back about, and I had been introduced to a guy named Francis Lombard, who is the publisher or the editor in chief at Antics Press, and we were connected through a mutual. Uh, connection in the industry and ended up hitting it off and had this idea and just kind of ran with it. And Francis had a lot of experience in the industry. He'd worked for humanoids and, you know, several other publication houses like that. So that was, and I always feel for myself, I'm terrible at marketing and promotion. So I always try to, you know, partner with a publisher or somebody who's more adept at, at that side of the industry. And so for, this right. has been good for me in that that way. And then with Mr. Butterchips, I had written a story actually for Drunk Monkeys. They're the literary magazine that publishes Mr. Butterchips. And so I just kind of wanted to do it as a goof almost initially. I didn't, I don't even know that I 
planned on it being a serialized comic strip um, or sort of episodic, I guess it's not really serialized. Uh, and so I just brought it to the editor at the time and he was all for it and sort of gave me creative carte blanche to, to go and, and create and have a good time. Yeah. You can see that you have so much more freedom on the butter chips one because yeah, again, like it is to the extremes and stuff like that. And it's great that they decided to back you and give you the freedom, which is hard to find nowadays in the creative world. And with Mr. Butterchips, you know, it's the idea that it is sort of cartoony and I can be wacky and outlandish with it. Whereas with Decades, it's something that's a little bit more personal. And so it's the attempt to, I don't know, like we were talking about a little bit before, it's the attempt to have a poignant or powerful message in six panels um, right. and, and there's still a lot of sort of surreal imagery that's mixed in because I think that keeps it in- interesting. Uh, but yeah, with with Mr. Butterchips, that's definitely a far more wacky um, piece of work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Moving into the, to the actual comics themselves, Mr. Butterchips, he is that wacky character. He actually reminds me a little bit of the Animaniacs. Do you remember the Animaniacs oh, from the 90s? Yeah, absolutely. I love the Animaniacs. Yeah. Probably some subconscious uh, influence there. Yeah, it feels kind of in that sense where like Animaniacs exist in this WB world, but they're just, they're breaking all the rules and they're, you know, they're shining a mirror back on (laughs) on Warner Brothers themselves. And so you kind of have that with Mr. Butterchips too, where he's he's breaking all the rules. Um, But yeah, it's a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of those, you know, influences from when I was a kid, you know, I think any creator sort of, absorbs those influences and maybe doesn't even realize they're, they're coming out until somebody that you're talking to says, Hey, that's kind of like the Animaniacs in a light bulb. Yeah. You go, oh yeah, I did love that too. So I'm sure there's a little bit of, of that. <laughs> that's great. That's a great thing. Yeah. No, it's, and it's it... Cause you know, you put this work out into the world and you have a specific intent or a specific goal or a specific thing that you're trying to convey, but everybody receives it and interprets it differently. And I think that's one of the most interesting aspects of storytelling. And so it's really fun and interesting to me to hear different people's takes on the comics. Right. Yeah. And then with, uh, with decades, you have a protagonist that's again, it's the, it's the daily, uh, slice of life and stuff like that. And I wanted to kind of compare their paneling now. So with, with decades, as you're going through the stories, I like how you have like these metaphors in each different panel. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of feel like, oh, this moment there's, you know, we're just talking about the one where he's trying to escape or the one where his uh, uh, roommate is going to be leaving. And so you have that he's in a castle now and he has safety. And so you kind of feel like these you're inside of his psyche, you're inside of his mind, living this with him. And then you're also seeing the panels where he's trying to convey the reality to his friends or the mask he's putting on. Yeah, and that's sort of the the idea is it's supposed to be sort of a, you know, a cross section of his brain in a way where you're seeing sort of how he envisions things or, or what his thought process is about it. But then you're seeing what's actually happening in the real world, too. And some of that's actually yeah. taken from uh, one of my early mentors, a guy named Michael Jancy, who did a comic strip called The Norm. Well, he actually still does it, but it was syndicated in newspapers for a long time. And so he did a lot of that kind of stuff too, sort of the surreal characters, like I have drunk death and the, you know, grumpy goblins and and things that embody specific attitudes or emotions from Luke. And 
Michael Jancy did that a lot with uh, his character, the norm as well. So that certainly rubbed off on me and I, you know, took it in my own direction, but he was definitely a big influence on the decades of inexperience narrative for sure. Yeah. And then with Mr. Butterchips, you kind of, again, we've talked about how he breaks the rules and stuff like that. While you compare these two together, I like how you keep these metaphors and he's still in these semi-tight boxes. They do break them. Like there's, you know, there are moments where they break them, but then Mr. Butterchips, it's like all coming at you. There's so much more detail in every little panel too. Cause it's just, you're almost overloaded with how much <laughs> is coming at you. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a fair observation. And again, I think a lot of that came from Mr. Butterchips was kind of supposed to look more like a Gilbert Shelton who did the fabulous furry freak brothers and, Right. Yeah. It was more geared towards that. So I think just naturally I ended up sort of filling the panels from border to border uh, with Mr. Butterchips. Whereas with the decades, uh, I think the the main thing is the storytelling. So, again, I try not to muddle that too much. Uh, But but the yeah, the the artwork for Mr. Butterchips is definitely a, a bit more unfettered, I think. Yeah. It's hard to explain, but that's exactly right. When you said it fills it from border to border, that's exactly right. Where with decades, you're almost filling in that environment because you're living in that environment more. Yeah. And there's a lot of narrative, you know, you're sort of taking in both the narrative and the imagery with decades, whereas with Mr. Butterchips, a lot of it is in the imagery. And so there's a lot of sort of jokes in the background and little things that, uh, you know, maybe can be considered an Easter egg. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot more of that in Mr. Butterchips for sure. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking of a couple that we will, I won't spoil for the fans. They have to go out and read them. But there's yeah. some really good Easter eggs yeah. in Butterchips for sure. Right. One of the, one of my favorite ones. So for, so for the earlier works in decades, it was written much more like a journal where you actually had this long form discussion going back and forth, which quite often turned into poetry, essentially. Uh, and with just two or three illustrated moments, uh, the one I oh, I just I have actually up right now is just so mind boggling how great it is, is where you have the heart sitting on top of a comic strip and a pencil stabbed into it. Uh, oh, right with the Jack Kirby quote. The Jack Kirby quote. You said you took it right out of it. It was so wonderful for anybody who's a real comic book fan. You know Jack Kirby is like the Godfather of comics. Um, he's you know <laughs> he's amazing. Yeah. And uh, what what was your decision in switching forms? Why did you want to go from this form into the paneled form that you use now? Because I think I realized where my um, talents, for lack of a better word, were better utilized was in the combination of imagery and narration, which was Mm -hmm. comics. Whereas before it was just, like I said, illustrated flash fiction. And there's nothing wrong with that. I just feel as though I was always leaning back towards comics because I love comics. They're my first love as far as storytelling goes. And I was, for some reason, being obstinate and resistant about going back to it because there was some idiotic voice in my head saying that wasn't real writing or whatever it was that was completely ridiculous. And then I just acquiesced and and admitted that of course it's real storytelling and that was a a stupid obstacle to put in my own way so i just dove headfirst right back into comics and haven't looked back i really liked uh, i like both of these of course i mean everything everything you've done so far totally a fan of thanks man but i'm wondering 
do you have any intentions of going back to this this form, the flash form before, like you used before? No, you know, I've thought about actually maybe if and when I get established a little more, maybe doing a prose book or just an all narrative book, you know, about comics or maybe from a history standpoint or something along those lines. But as far as the comics properties goes or the story properties goes, I think comics are, are my wheelhouse that I'm going to yeah. pretty firmly planted in. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, everything's turning out great so far. I mean, you've got a fan here, so there's there's no no reason to change. It was just, I, I really liked, both of them are great, but in their different ways as well. With the old format, you actually had like so much more to say. And like I had said before, it turned into poetry most of the time. Yeah, that was sort of finding my voice too. I mean, that was one of the good things about, you know, doing the longer text blocks was really kind of finding my voice and teaching myself how to write because that was always one thing that I didn't necessarily focus on. I was just trying to be the best illustrator that I can be. So when I realized I just wanted to tell my own stories, I needed to start drilling that, you know, like a basketball player or an athlete of some sort, you know, they take the weekend of their game and they have to drill it and they have to practice it to strengthen in that arena. So for me, that was writing. And I think that was also, you know, an impetus, but, behind doing the first couple of years as they were was just to kind of, you know, get my feet wet and hone that side of the craft, which I think has served well in going back to comics because I've become much better at self-editing in the sense of knowing what to leave out and what to use. And that's such a vital part that many people who start off in trying to create products or create projects in, in any kind of medium Self-editing is the hardest thing to do as a podcaster, for sure. You know, it's one of those things. And part of that is you have to be careful, too, because sometimes you can tell yourself to leave something out that's really great. So it's it's really learning that, uh, you know, where the lines are. And and also having an editor for me is pretty vital. So that's why I've partnered with people like Ant Express or Drunk Monkeys, because having that that beta reader or that sounding board has just been integral for me in, in my own growth as a storyteller, which just hopefully continues in that that direction yes 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 uh what are your what are your big plans like if you could just wish to a genie what are the big plans right here for mr butter chips and decades of inexperience well both and you heard it here first folks uh both uh, there are planned collections for both which i'll hopefully be able to awesome. talk a little bit more about maybe later in the year or early next year uh but ant express okay. and mr butter chips or decades of inexperience and mr butter chips rather uh, there are collections in the works. So hopefully I'll be able to announce a little bit more with a little bit more detail uh, pretty soon. But definitely because, uh, you know, people the, in the the small fan base that we've uh, acquired, which have been which has been great, have all asked that, you know, they're great on the Web. But when is there going to be a book? We'd love to see a collection. So I think we're it's finally lighting that proverbial fire under our ass to put those together. Be sure to tag us in. When have you announced those? We're going to be pushing that like crazy. We're super excited for those over here. Oh man, that's appreciated. And, and yeah, I absolutely will. So we have your two major your two major flagship comic books here, and you have future plans for other stories. And currently, you're working with a literary agent. Can you break down what a literary agent is for us? Sure. A literary agent is sort of a, a combination of a manager and a salesman for your work. So it's 
absolutely integral and necessary when you're pitching to the bigger publishing houses like Random House or Penguin or, you know, the, the big five, I think, is the number. It's the big five publishers. Uh, mm-hmm. You can't even get in the door without an agent these days. So for a long time, agents were not representing graphic novelists or author illustrators because here in North America, I think a lot of the book publishers hadn't quite picked up on the fact that graphic novels are great pieces of literature just as much as any other kind of writing. And places like Europe and Japan and places that have adopted a very American art form of comics have all you know, grown to love and respect that art form just as, as much as any other storytelling platform. So now I think North America is finally trying, finally starting to recognize that as well. So all of the big publishers have started having imprints for graphic novels. And the way to get to those editors is you can't just send them to the publisher. You have, you need to have that, you know, sort of gatekeeper for lack of a better word uh, to filter the, the wheat from the shaft, I guess. So yeah. I I kind of had to learn trial by fire how to query agents and was lucky enough to find mine, who's wonderful. And we are in the process of pitching uh, a graphic novel of mine right now. So fingers crossed. That'd be great, yeah. So when, you, when you're pitching to these with through a literary agent, are you showing them the potential of future prints, or are you just trying to pitch the one graphic novel, maybe a, a mini series, something like that? Like, how is, how are you trying to sell yourself? Are you trying to sell future earnings, or like this is the great product you guys are going to get right now? Yeah, I think the idea is to present something that they feel will have some longevity. Um, okay. You know, it's not necessarily that you're gunning for that initially, but. Of course, I mean, publishing is a business, so they're going to want something that's going to make some money or they at least hope will make some money. So you're presenting for for what I'm doing now with my agent. We have a finished manuscript and about a chapter of artwork that we're showing around, which will hopefully give the impression of what the book can and will look like. So I know, but but with graphic novels, again, it's such a burgeoning uh, sort of category in publishing that I've also heard there are literary agents that have sold books on a synopsis or on a premise with some character designs. So it, it really, oh my goodness, <laughs> yeah, it's it's really all across the board. And I'm sure with some of those sales that happened with a little bit less material to show, those were some names that were a little bit more established. But it's but it can happen, and that's the beautiful part about graphic novels is you have those two entities of art and narrative working together and they have to work together because if you're just illustrating what you're writing, then just write prose, you know, because there has to be something different that you're presenting with the artwork. It can't just be what you're writing because there's no real point in doing that. Right. That's what I was, that's what I was wondering is if it's something if we're, if we're looking at the movie standpoint, so Todd Phillips, a director for the new Joker movie that just came out, mm-hmm. he presented, oh, I want to do the entire DC dark universe. And they're like, hold on, you got to make one movie at a time. Right. And so I was wondering if these, that's how the publishers work. Like, let's see what you could come up with first. And then after we trust you, do does your literary agent return back to the publisher and renegotiate a longer contract? Or do they kind of get you under contract for, you know, a set amounts and that's it? 
How does that work exactly? I think it depends on the contract. Um, I know that my agent has sold two book deals for people and not necessarily the same series, just, you know, two books that had a pitch that were ready to go. So he sold them, you know, a two book contract. Um, With ours, we're just selling one right now, but there's also people have series, intended series. So you, you know, maybe have that first book done and then ideas for the next few in that series or however many that you plan to do. And I think it's all very individual in that sense where it's it's essentially whatever you're pitching, they'll look at. So your your agent, if you know any agent worth their salt, will know how to navigate that. And you know, hey, here is this one graphic novel, this one standalone graphic novel that we're pitching. Do you like it? Or this is the first in a line of six intended to be a series. Is this something you're interested in? So I think it, it varies greatly just between artist and and project. But what we're doing is a, right now is just a standalone. And hopefully I think the idea is you, you then are able to establish a good working relationship with a publisher and an editor. And so maybe when you have your next book, you go, hey, are you interested in this? And a lot of the times those contracts even include clauses where they you know, have first rights to see any new projects. That would make sense. That's sort of the the old school Hollywood thing is they would get you under under the house first and then you you'd have to almost break the contract with the house or they would have to turn away your projects before you can shop anywhere else. Yeah. And it's I feel like publishing is very similar in that regard. And, and you know, I'm sure it's it's a matter of if you're making them money, why wouldn't they want your next book? Exactly. Being being productive and cost efficient. Those that's all that they care about. Yeah, and that's the thing is I think a lot of people get discouraged when they're either pitching to literary agents or even pitching publishers in the direct market and they get rejections. Everybody gets rejections and you you're going to collect a lot of rejections. That's just part of this industry. And I think a lot of people get discouraged because they take those rejections as some sort of statement on their worth as their talent or some sort of, you know, rejection of them as a creative person where it's not, it's, it's very, number one, the industry is very subjective and number two, they have to have something that they can sell. So even if they love it, they could love it. Absolutely be head over heels, gaga in love with this project that you have. But if they don't think they can sell it, they're not going to take it. So right. it's it's just something that I think you learn, you know, along the way that a rejection is not necessarily uh, a repudiation of you as an artist. It's just not something that they think they can sell at that time. And markets change and editors switch positions. So anything's possible. You can always, you know, books have sold three years after they've been rejected or 10 years after they've been rejected. Or you hear things about, you know, like J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter and she was rejected by everybody five times and then suddenly found an editor who gave it a chance. So it's, this is an industry of perseverance and maybe, you know, dogged persistence and a little bit of pigheadedness. But if you want to do this, then I think you're going to do it regardless. You're basically going through both versions of the, it sounds like the comic creators, you know, journey, the career style, uh, which would you, which would do you prefer going it alone and trying to do these indie comics like you have with decades and, uh, Mr. Butterchips or this industry style where you're sitting there with an agent and really trying to push getting into the big names. 
you know, each has their benefits because, it, you know, the indie stuff, of course, you have more control over and mm-hmm. you can kind of do whatever you want, which is always a goal. And whereas you're working with a larger entity or establishment that may ask you to change things because they need to be able to sell it or, you know, direct it towards a specific market. So I think there's advantages to both because with the bigger trade publishers, you're going to get a lot more exposure and a, and a much wider audience. But right. the, you know, the, the indie, the webcomic stuff, you are just far more in control and can say, you know, could, could cover the topics and the things that you want to without having to worry about those being sanitized or, you know, watered down. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's going to be it for us. How could everybody reach you if they wanted to get in on this Alex Schumacher bandwagon? Where can we find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Both are at AJ Schumacher Art. So both are the same. Um, and my website, my main website is alexschumacherart.com. And I imagine you might put that up on a site somewhere so people know how to spell it because Schumacher can be confusing to some. All of those links will be in our description, both for the podcast version and our YouTube channel, guys. So look in the descriptions. Uh, I can't see your, your website is fantastic. You have a lot of the archived works. If you guys want to look back at some of uh, his earlier works and you guys can catch up on everything, that's the place to go. Yeah. Yeah. And then your Twitter account, I've really enjoyed you kind of like tweet little snippets of current you know projects you're working on. And uh, it always catches my eye. And I'm like, man, that's a great idea. <laughs> you know? Oh, good. Thanks. Yeah. You know, <laughs> an engagement on social media is so weird. I'm still sort of learning <laughs> my way around that. But it's it's an interesting realm for sure. Yeah. Amen. I, it's it's a tough one to trick, but it's nowadays it seems like you can't do a business without it. So yeah. it's, it's tricky. No, absolutely. It's a necessary evil. Yeah. All right, guys. So that's Alex Schumacher. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate well, thank it. Thank you for having me on. It was a lot of fun. All right, guys, next we're going to be going into our deep dive on Outer Worlds, the new game coming to you from Obsidian Games. All right, that was Alex Schumacher. Next up, we're going to be going over our Outer Worlds review. Uh, This game is... I'm going to unfortunately have to compare it to fallout a lot just because that's what everybody was going to want to compare it to standing alone without fallout this is still a great game with a great storyline the reason it's being compared to fallout is not only is it basically like fallout it's made by the guys who did fallout one and two and fallout new vegas which is arguably the best fallout uh have you played new vegas I have not. That's one I skipped, but I really, I played three and four. Yeah. And for you to say that's the, have you played three and four? Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. And you're saying New Vegas is better than those? Yes. Now I went from three to four as well. And then Daniel's like, no, you have to play New Vegas. So I did. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's because the story is just freaking crazy good with the Kings and stuff like that. It's a really cool thing. Different factions that are really awesome. Yeah. Uh, Four to me fell really flat. Three was really good. Three is the one that got me hooked into... I mean, at the time, it was like three and Oblivion were both near each other. And I was just like, Bethesda, amazing company because of those two games. Um, yeah. I mean, except for uh, Fallout 76. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then there's this whole thing. I was just uh, listening to a Three Hours Later podcast. They're going to be on the show next week, Alex, from that one. And uh, they were talking about there is a new subscription service for 76 that they try to push out there, like $13 a month or $100 something for the year. 
It's like, dude, just just give up. Turn those services off. Nobody cares. Yeah. Like seventy six is literally how many players are playing that game. Nobody freaking yeah. cares, man. <laughs> so crazy. Oh shoot. So anyways So what what what's what's uh the deal? What's the story with this one? The story of this one is it's takes place in an alternate universe where back in the like Theodore Roosevelt days, Theodore Roosevelt was never made president. So we just kept pushing on with this Pan American exposition and stuff. So a lot of just like capitalism first and like without any checks and balances to where we're in the future now and it's all about making money and it's as bleak as that is in the game, it is so hilarious that everything's like, do you think I can get a raise out of this? Like, maybe I can get some paid time off. Like, that's what everybody's drive when you're out there just talking to NPCs. Uh-huh. They're always like, uh, you know, like, maybe I can get a promotion. If I help you, can you tell the boss I did okay? Like, that's like everybody's drive while you're trying <laughs> okay. to survive out there. And a lot of the decisions, so just like Fallout games, you're, you're making a lot of decisions to uh, either help one faction or another faction. And a lot of your decisions is like, should I take out the corporation? Well, yeah, but the corporation's employing people. But it's mistreating people. What do you do? There's a lot of grays. There's no black and whites. Okay. Um, this is the first time where a game where you could kind of like pick your own narrative. I decided to go full on evil. I'm always like, oh, I got to be nice Heck and just yeah. help everybody. That's the way to go, man. But like right away. So, so okay. So you start off and you find out that you've been in cryo sleep for i think 70 years there was a whole ship of you guys that's got a ton of you people on there and you were abandoned and you're just floating above this planet uh some crazy scientist comes and saves you and then you come so i I haven't finished the game yet so that's why i'm not telling you what's going on with the crazy scientist but anyways he saves you tells you to go down there and so i was like okay i'm gonna use this opportunity to think like okay all i care about are the people that are in cryo sleep my job is to try to save them at all costs i don't care about these people on this planet which is a fun way to play so then, okay. like, for example, like, one of the first things you do is you go out to this botanical garden and you're supposed to, like, etch, you're supposed to shift the power from this power plant to either the factory and this, like, bustling little town or shift it to the botanical garden and help this, like, hippie commune, essentially. And so I'm talking to the lady and she's like, oh, we can't. And you're supposed to, like, tell the lady, I come on back to the factory. And she's like, no, we can't do that. We got to be good. And I'm sitting there like, OK, the good guy in me would be like. I've got to help the hippie commune and make sure everybody gets along. But I'm like, these guys, if I were to be really realistic and my goal is just to save the people that are on that ship up there, these guys could get in my way in the future. I'm not cool with that. So then I, she, she's turned around. I shot her in the back of the head. <laughs> she was the leader of the faction. You could kill anybody in the game except for one person. You can kill anybody in the game. So I shot her in the back of the head. The entire colony started coming after me. And I just found a good corner, started picking them off. And it's amazing that, like, the head guard, like, the sheriff of the town, I killed her, grabbed her sniper rifle, and owned that game for so long until I outleveled it. But it does not take much to, like, overpower the game. I was playing on normal difficulty, and you feel god mode real fast. While in Fallout, Mm. you feel like you're really struggling the whole time. I was never lacking for ammo, just because you could go melee or ammo or uh, guns, Mm -hmm. and it was always great. Uh, How do you like the guns in the game? Um, Are they very... They are uh, uh, comparable to Fallout, even though fun. I'm trying to get a setting off of because uh, Fallout's obviously this post-apocalyptic ordeal, right? So, um, so you kind of want to think that same way too, like where where Fallout is post a, a nuclear war. That's the Fallout part. Uh, yeah. So it's like bleak and grays and browns. This is in the future in a space st- like far away. So why you're walking around is all bright and colorful, okay. right? Well, the weapons kind okay. of show that as well because you just have ra- crazy weapons that like shrink things or whatever they're just like random crazy weapons and you could like i'm gonna say enchants 
but you could like change your ammo to make them do extra effects. Um, okay. And you have a thing called time dilation aiming or something. It's time dilation where for me it was Q, but it slows down time and you're able to shoot specifically. So it's kind of like the VAT system with Fallout where you're able to like, oh, I want to shoot at the head, I want to shoot the legs. But okay. that, the VAT system slows down the Fallout games so much that it's straight up like an RPG. And this slows down the games to where it's like I'm still shooting. Like I'm still in my shooting role. I'm not selecting something. I'm aiming still. And yeah, okay. I like where when you shoot somebody in the eyes, it blinds them for a while. And if you shoot them somewhere where they could bleed, they will bleed and stuff like that. So mm. it's very responsive like that. You can shoot them in the leg, they're crippled and they're moving slower. All the limbs are very impactful. Uh, okay. Yeah. So you're you're thinking, you remember the game Wildlands? How it was just like super bright and just yeah, having yeah. fun. This is the Wildlands version of Fallout where it's just super fun, Dang. super bright. Still sad. It's <laughs> still like this run about capitalism. You're trying to like help out and save people and your people. But the whole time it's just like awesome looking flowers and plants around you and these really neat monsters. Yeah. And uh, it's got that that 50s retro future still to where like the robots yeah. are like these weird shapes and like bleep bloop and you're trying to like kill them before they kill you. Um, okay, okay. Really fun game. The only things that I would have to say are negatives on this game as I would say you are very guided and I've read that if you play in harder difficulties, it actually makes it to where you actually have to worry about food and water, but you don't have to worry about food and water on normal. And uh, in general, it's way easier than Fallout or uh, any of the Skyrim games or Oblivion or anything like that, mm-hmm. Elder Scrolls games. To where the fact that you like, like I've always been like the kind of guy that brings a sniper rifle and I'll sneak and I'll level those two up because you level up your stats just like you would with any other game. And you could change perks to where they're really fun. You can really kind of customize your character your way. So I've always gone that sneaky sniper role. And man, I could clear a place out and never get touched. And I'm just like, just mm-hmm. mowing people down. So I'm just taking my time and go through it. And I have leveled up that way in Skyrim, but it takes a lot of work to do that. When this game, it took no time to start having fun like that. Okay. So that's, that's like now, a you weird complaint. You don't but... seem that as a plus? No, yeah, exactly. It's a weird complaint because for a lot of people, that would be great. It's like, oh, yeah, I can move people down. But I felt like I was too powerful for somebody who just woke up from cryo sleep and ended up on a weird planet. You know? Yeah, yeah. But again, I'm playing it on normal. It seems like I should have been playing it. It felt like I was playing it on easy, like I was just there for the story. Mm. But, okay. you know. I don't know. It was a lot of fun. It came out October 25th and it's on the Game Pass, guys. So you can start your Game Pass for a dollar trial and play this amazing game. Yeah, I might have to I might have to check this out now. Yeah. Now, do you think this is uh, so since this is pretty much close to a Fallout mm-hmm. and this company has done a Fallout before, um, do you think that this company could rise and challenge those games, challenge Bethesda for I have not. It's always yeah. going to be a comparison now, you know. I mean, I I can't see how this would not like wreck Fallout. Like I, I'm not not yeah. like trying to like just put so much on this game, like how great it is. I think they took everything that that everybody knows about Fallout, all the bad things and good things. Like I haven't had any glitches, which is crazy for this type of game. I haven't had any huh. freaking glitches. Uh, and and Bethesda's like jokingly known about all their their glitches. So yeah, I yeah. think this thing takes everything that's wrong with the Fallout and. And Elder Scrolls, and I keep mentioning Elder Scrolls because, in a weird way, the gameplay actually reminds me of Elder Scrolls a little bit more than Fallout. But it takes all those things, fixes all the problems, and gives us like very polished game. Obsidian really came up, you know. Obsidian Entertainment made this. I think they really came up to bat. I mean, they really did a good job. 
And it's going to be interesting to see how then now Obsidian comes and starts. I mean, if they're going to make these kind of quality games now. Yeah. So. We, well, we need this because Bethesda was unchecked for the most part in this kind yeah. of gameplay. Like, I'm sure there was some third party whatever games that, I mean, I didn't care about because they were not the big. But this came out and I'm like, holy cow, this is how it's done right. It's like lighter too. So it feels like uh, a Fallout game is really weighed down by all the systems that are put into it, like all your menus and stuff uh-huh. like that and your menu. Man, uh, that is not even around in in this game. Outer Worlds just let you go out there. Yes, it has those systems, but they're like super mainstream, like mainlined. They're very nice. It's super clean. This is actually coming to the Nintendo Switch in uh, 2020. It's one of the No way. Yeah, this is one of the few games that I think I'm actually going to buy again on the Switch. So that that shows wow. you how good it is. Cause I play, I, yeah, that might be something. I, I mean, I know I got the Game Pass, of course, for Xbox, but playing this on the Switch might be really, really neat to experience it. Yeah, because I play Skyrim on the Switch, and I really liked how much that felt okay. different because you're actually able to like shoot your bow with the actual like uh, Joy Cons or whatever. Yeah. And so if that kind of thing comes to the Switch, I'm in. I'm, I'm, I'm probably already in, anyways. It, I think it's gonna play really well on that. It's just the bright colors. Yeah. It feels Nintendo. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Dang, Nintendo knocking out of the park with these third parties that they're going to get now. Dude, so. yeah. And and everybody it's was worried because this game was originally going to be for the PC because I'm playing on the PC right now. Originally, yeah. it was going to be Epic Game Store only. And uh, game uh, uh, Xbox rolled in. It was like Game Pass it. So I was like, oh, man, way to just kick Epic Dang. right in the face. That's yeah, nuts. Seriously. These wars, we're in a really good time, like you and I and stuff like that, where it's like everybody's competing with each other for who's going to get the streaming service. So we're just like, free game here, free game there. Let me add it to my yeah. library. <laughs> I'm not hating that, but yeah. Yeah, I took some advantage of this uh, Game Pass, hopped on to uh, some of these uh, specials that they run, and so I think I'm good till like 2022, so... Dude, I should have done that. Uh, I was reading about an article about that. I was actually thinking we should probably talk about it at some point, where like if you if you do this one thing and then that one thing, you could pay a dollar for Xbox Live for three yep, years, yep, and I was yep. like, oh my God, I should have like... I need to I need figure out all those things and get them together. There's even this thing where if you buy a Taco Bell $5 box, you get one week... Is it one week or two weeks of Xbox Live for free? And you can Holy get shit. multiple Xbox. You can get, you can just like start stacking up these $5 boxes and paying. So if you just wanted to like, oh, you know what? For a month, I'm going to only have Taco Bell. Yeah, but you get like Xbox free for a year and a half or something like that. And diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll take the Xbox. <laughs> but your diabetes at home with your Xbox. I mean, it's whatever. True, true. I mean, you're still happy. I mean, you got your Xbox time. You're chilling at home. Probably shouldn't make too light of diabetes, but yeah. <laughs> um yeah this is a great game though uh i'm thinking i'm gonna write it out of like we'll go with let's go some like future so let's go okay yeah yeah out of a hundred laser guns so we'll go like real classic tomorrowland tech (laughs) yeah yeah dude this game reminded me of tomorrowland so hard it was okay oh it's so great because not only does it have the design of Tomorrowland, everything's super expensive and it's all about making money, which is exactly what Disneyland is. Yeah. As much as I love it, it's all, you know, gift shop after gift shop. So, I mean, yeah, seeing that, I can, I can see that. I like, I like your reference to that because, I mean, obviously Disneyland opened so long ago. So that Tomorrowland would be something like Outer Worlds where it's just old school. Yeah. New old school. Yeah. I guess. Flash Thompson kind of, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to give it out of laser guns. I'm going to say. 88 laser guns out of 100. Oh, 88. Okay. Really high up okay. there. Now, retro, looking back at Fallout 4, I'm giving that game a 72. 
Oh, rusty man. guns. Okay, out of a hundred. Oh, rusty guns. Not even. Oh my the, goodness gracious. When Fallout Four came out, I was super into it and stuff like that. I'd probably give it like high eighties yeah. as well. But yeah. comparing these two games now, I'm, I'm pushing that one back to the seventies, early seventies. So. Oh shit. Okay. Really All right. I might. I might have to check this out now. I was kind of hesitant at first, but now I, maybe I will. My one suggestion is make sure it's at a point when you're kind of clear of other games because this thing with the story, it'll <laughs> sink your time. Never. Real fast. I know. Right. I know. So hard. Okay. Right now we have just today we have see these to play, and we have a crew waiting for us to get on World of Warcraft. So we have a pretty full schedule today. God. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. See these, man. So good. <laughs> yeah it is gosh all right so actually going into that we'll just finish things off with wondering what have you been playing lately uh see if he's from world of warcraft <laughs> we got a little bit of overwatch uh, in too a couple days ago yeah 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 now that the halloween event's over um i'm kind of waiting for the next event so i've been a little slower on that waiting yeah. for christmas to pop up oh, so we can wait. get some new outfits and course, collect course. all the other ones still um so like i said see if he's world of warcraft um yeah i think that's it actually right now yeah yeah I've been playing a lot of those epic. What free, about you? I've been playing a lot of those epic free games. It's been really good. Um, okay. And then Outer Worlds, of course, was really good. So basically those. Yeah. And okay, okay. You know, just getting back in a while. I don't want to keep always bringing up Blizzard, but you know, after BlizzCon, you get that like, I gotta get into some Blizzard yeah. games. What are you gonna God, do? I know. I've been grinding, and it's kind of overwhelming now that all the stuff you're telling me that WoW is. So it's like, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. There's, it's hard because when you come in a little bit late, you miss all these system changes they did so you kind of have to do the system changes to like feel it you know yeah and yeah, yeah. i'm feeling it for sure and you don't have flying yet which is kind of a biggie oh my god i was like you can't just buy it <laughs> yeah <laughs> they made it hard and pathfinder is coming to shadowlands they already confirmed that so that same system you're going through will be the system they use in the next expansion as well okay yeah okay the rep great. grind is probably your slowest thing so as long as you're doing those dailies every day to get the rep up it'll probably take yeah. you like a week and a half to have flying Okay. Okay. Yeah. They nerfed a lot of stuff, so it's a little easier. But yeah. All right, guys. That is going to be it for us this week. Uh, I think next, yeah, next week is the uh, interview with Alex from Three Hours Later. Uh, we have another Alex. There's three Alexes I'm interviewing this month, so it's kind of Alex heavy. Oh, wow. Yeah. But Alex from Three Hours Later, we're going to be interviewing him, and we're going to be doing some classic geek activities, such as who would win in a fight, which is like a staple of all geek talk conversations. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys, so we'll see you all next week. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the Geek Freaks Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Geek Freaks Pod. We're also on Facebook, Instagram. You can email us. We have our Patreon and a store. All those links are in the description. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you guys next week.